My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. It sounds like when I get out of bed in the morning right there. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us as a people what it means to trust you in the seasons of life that we go through, no matter where we are, where we find ourselves in the times and the seasons, that we would be a people who trust you that we would see how to grow in the midst of those places and times and we would realize that you are a God who deeply loves and cares for us and will walk us through good times and bad to know you better. And so we ask that what we go through would bring you great glory as we as a people live in the joy that you constantly provide to us. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are going through this book called Ecclesiastes. It is in the Old Testament. This is the seventh week of that. And what's interesting is apparently when I wrote this message, it was the first time I wrote Ecclesiastes and my spell checker didn't correct me. So there's a time and a season for everything under the sun and spelling it the rightly is there too. So Ecclesiastes, so far we looked at how the teacher, uh, the preacher, the writer, depending on what translation of the Bible you have, how he wants us to know how our lives are lived and how they're meant to be lived. And so he keeps going back to this thing called under the sun. Under the sun in the book of Ecclesiastes is the realm in which we create, what we do with our human hands, the things that we do. And anytime we find, try to find our satisfaction in meaning in the things that we create, it ends up being meaningless. It does not lead to satisfaction or hope or true or real life. And so we have been six weeks of what I would call existential navel-gazing, you know, looking down and focusing on our lives that hopefully for some of you have made you reflect on your life a little bit more, but hopefully you understand how the gospel relates to all of it and you will realize that in the end, not everything has to be meaningless. I hope you've grown to appreciate Solomon's wisdom. Uh, The book uh, can become very philosophical at times. Next week is actually going to be pretty philosophical, but he wants to show his truth and reality in tangible ways. And so what I want you to see is the section we walk in today is a little more hopeful. Though I think I'm at odds with a lot of Bible commentators because don't, they don't see it as positive as I do. So what I want you to do is I want you to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, not Ecclesiastes, but Exodus chapter 3. And what we're going to look at today is how God is a God of order and time, and he brings everything together how he intends it to be. Uh, God creates time. He places us in the confines of time for a reason and a purpose. Back in 2014, we had a Christmas Eve service, and I talked about time and space and matter. And in this, I talked about how our lives are governed by time. Time is really the basis for everything we know, how we interpret everything around us, how our lives are ordered, like our cars are governed by time and how often you change the fluids, or if you don't change fluids, how often you have to change cars, because that happens. Our work is governed by the time you go in and the time you don't go in and maybe get fired. Our relationships are governed by how much time you spend or don't spend with those you love or you hate. Our days are numbered by how much time we get. Even if you go to the store and buy some light bulbs, it'll have it. It's going to last for this many hours. Everything is in the confines of time. Anybody ever seen time travel movies or TV shows? Anybody? All right. Groundhog Day. Woohoo! Bill Murray, go. Uh, they, they all spark our imagination in time travel. In which we could go back and erase all of our embarrassing memories or see a concert of a broken up band or maybe somebody in the band's dead and you want to see them when they're all together. Like, go see Journey with Steve Perry. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for everybody who was like, who's Journey? All right, okay. <laughs> Yeah, whatever. Uh, maybe, maybe go buy some Google, Microsoft, Apple stock back when it wasn't really worth anything. Maybe tell yourself what to avoid. Uh, but we only get to time travel because we do get to do it. But we all time travel one second at a time into the future. So you're doing it right now and now. 
and now. Time travelers that you are. I think sometimes we forget that the decisions that we made in our past, like sometimes we want to go and change them. Many times those decisions have made us who we are today. And I think instead of maybe spending all of our time regretting all those things, look at how we can then grow and move forward through those things. Because what if you never had a broken heart? Would you still be you? And so that's kind of some of the things in that. At its most basic level, time is a rate of change in the universe. And like it or not, we are constantly undergoing change. Uh, We age, the planets move around stars, uh, things fall apart, we fall apart, some faster than others, some worse than others. We measure the passage of time in seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years, decades, centuries, millennia. Uh, Many scientists today say when they think about uh, time, it's so much more than they can really comprehend when they start to get into it. It's more as extensional. They don't know what to do with it, and they feel like they have a hangover trying to put it all together. Uh, the vastness of the universe, uh, the laws that seem to govern it, the fact that something doesn't come from nothing actually lead a lot of scientists today to believe there has to be a creator of some sort, a designer, a God force. Actually, uh, the latest study I saw was two years ago, and 80 plus percent of scientists say that there needs to be some sort of creator out there. They don't put a name on it like Jesus or God or something, but they have like something that has to be there. And if there is a being who could create all of this, that being would be so far above us, it'd be incomprehensible. We can never go and find out who this is. A German theologian, Rudolf Otto, in 1917, coined this phrase that God is wholly other. Uh, That's a W and not an H. Wholly different than us. God is other. We can never figure out who he is, no matter how many vision quests or how much you smoke or drink or swallow an appeal. You never go on the vision quest to find who God is because he's so far beyond us. This means that God must reveal himself to us. And this is what God does in the scriptures. He reveals himself so we can know who he is. Now, in Exodus chapter 3, God calls Moses to go and speak to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. He tells Moses to go to the children of Israel and speak to them and say, rescue is coming. Redemption is coming. Exodus three thirteen and 14 says, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Now, this is kind of funny, right? Because you can say anything you want. Do people really know the name of God? It's like, what's his name? Bob? Okay. I mean, what are you going to say with that? This is what God says. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So here we are told God's name by God himself. Naming in the Bible has great importance. And this name, I am, is based on four Hebrew consonants that we would transliterate today as YHWH. We say Yahweh. And it literally means to be. To be. That God is period. This divine name has all these nuances in its meaning. First off, that God is self-existent. And he is dependent on nothing or anyone for his own existence. Secondly, that God is creator of everything that we know, all that exists, including time. Third, that God is unchanging in his character and he is not in the process of becoming something different from what or who he is. And fourthly, God is eternal in his existence. And so this word translated as I am can also be understood as I will be, or I have always been and I always will be, that God stands above time because he created it. Now open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, because here we start talking about 
time. When we come to Ecclesiastes 3, some people think that Solomon is now continuing to complain like he has the first two chapters of the book. They say he's complaining that God is an arbitrary and absolute master and that all life is fatalistic and you're just along for the ride. Other commentators say Solomon feels imprisoned by the sequence of time and that he's rebelling against what he's going through. Some of these commentators seem to have this innate discomfort with the idea of God's sovereignty. And rather than finding encouragement in the governance of what God does now he stands above time, they see God and so think Solomon sees God as like this random, capricious deity. Like the Abingdon Bible Commentary has the heading of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 as hopelessness of struggle against an arbitrary God. I would say that is not how Solomon sees it. I would say that is completely different because where Solomon is pushing us to go. That I think Solomon sees God's governance of time and us as something that is actually beautiful. And so when Solomon talks about the meaninglessness of human existence, it's always with an eye towards pushing us to ask the questions about life. What are we putting our hope in? What lies under the sun versus beyond the sun? Are we looking at just the temporary? And so when he talks about times and seasons, Solomon doesn't say time is short. We never have enough time to do everything we want. He doesn't talk about the tyranny of time. What he talks about is the beauty of it, is the beauty of it. Solomon wants, uh, if Solomon just wanted to be negative in this, he could have said that, that time is fleeting or running out. Once it's gone, you can't get it back, all of which is actually true. But that's not how he talks about it. Solomon talks about the orderliness of time, and this is how he does it. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. I know you're thinking, to everything. (laughs) Maybe half the room even knows what that song is, right? These lines in the scriptures are what are known as mirrorisms. Now, a mirrorism is when you take opposites or the combination of opposites to help you to understand everything that is in between it. Like in Hebrew, there is no word for cosmos. So in Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is, heavens, earth, Everything in between. It's a way of saying the cosmos if you don't have the word. Nehemiah 9.6. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them and the host of heaven worships you. Mirrorism. That's everything in between. So if you go back to that holy other comment, it means that the scriptures kind of give us this picture of a God who stands over time and yet this universe that that is so beyond our comprehension and God who could reach out his hands and encompass all of it within his hands. C.S. Lewis says, God is both further from us and nearer to us than any other being. He makes, we are made, he is original, we are derivative, but at the same time and for the same reason, the intimacy between God and even the meanest creature is closer than any that creature can attain with one another. And so when Solomon goes here, he starts off, Ecclesiastes 3.1, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. He changes under the sun to under 
heaven. Now, those two words are completely interchangeable in the text, but it's a softer word. It's more of a, of a kinder word. And so these mirrorisms now are meant to show the whole breadth of human existence, that God has placed rhythms into our lives to draw us to him. Sometimes I think we move so fast through life that we stop to ask, God, where am I right now in the story you're writing of my life? And we think the story is about what we are doing under the sun on our own, and it starts to leave us feeling meaningless. This is why it's good to ask questions when you feel like you're out of whack with God or feel like you're, everything's firing all the cylinders in both places. Those two extremes always ask things like, God, how do I move in time with you even now? Where am I in this rhythm? Blaise Pascal once said, Many of us live in the past reflecting on a season that we have already been through, either regretting what we should have done, or reminiscing about the things we should have done, or we live in the future, planning and expecting that someday things will be good. If we only live in the past or only live in the future, we will never live in the now today. And the beauty of the good news of what God does is it's supposed to make a difference in our lives now today. The gospel changes us today. Churches typically come in three flavors. Uh, You get gospel past, gospel present, or gospel future. A gospel past church will look at the past and not just at Jesus' death and resurrection, but they'll look at, oh, 50 years ago when we had those really comfortable pews and we had those great hymnals and everybody had to wear suits and spit shine their shoes before they went to church. Those were the good old days. It's like always in the past. It was so much better back then. Gospel Future Church is always like, oh, one day God's going to come down and smite everybody and this is going to be all over here and let's, did you get your fire insurance? Are you going to heaven? It's always someday somewhere over there. Element is a gospel present church. We believe the gospel is good news for today. And we look back at the whole history of the church and, and the great heritage that has been handed to us, and especially at Jesus' death and resurrection. And we look forward to all of God's promises and all that he said he is doing and is going to do, and we trust that and it brings us great hope. But it's all meant to change and affect our lives today because the gospel comes in and it changes who we are and what we do and how we think and how we interact today. We are meant to be a gospel-present People. Now, you can probably think of different times and seasons in your own life. How things have changed, how you have gotten through it, how you stay present. Like, when I, when I was a kid, I loved Spider-Man. If you know me, I still actually do love Spider-Man, okay? But... What, when I was a kid, it's probably the closest thing to religion for me. I'm looking for every channel, you know, the electric company, whatever I can find Spider-Man on, I'm trying to find Spider-Man. I always wanted the lunchbox, you know, the metal one that you could like bang on things because it was like, oh, I got a metal lunchbox. I never got the Spider-Man lunchbox, but I really, really wanted it. I would wear the Marvel t-shirt. I would give all my money to Almighty Marvel because that's what I wanted to do. Now, I, now I'm a little bit older. Things are better regulated. I still get Spider-Man comics because I'm weird, right? But... But it's better regulated. Many of you had certain things in your life where you went through and things started to change and you see things differently as you grow. Like a lot of people at some point in their lives, if they're married, they'll say, I really want kids, right? Then you have kids. Then you're like, why did I have kids, right? And you, get, you got the kids. But you'll have all these seasons of kids. You'll have, you'll have a season where they, they eat, cry, and poop, and it seems like all that they do. Then they get a little bit older, and you laugh with them, and you wrestle with them, and play with them. Then later you ground them for being bad. Then later you chase off boys who want to date your daughters. Then, then they grow up, and they go to school, and then they go to college, and they get married. And there's all these different seasons in life, and they can be joyous or sad depending on where you are. Like at a wedding, for parents, it is joyous and sad at the exact same time. It's great joy because they're going in this new phase in their life, but it's sad because now your relationship is going to change. God gives us time to love and cry and worship and have friends and laugh and repent. Do you see how positive this is now starting to turn? 
And if we are out of congruence with who God is, Solomon is saying, we're going to be a people who are always frustrated failures. And we're going to scream at the trees in the middle of winter when they have no leaves on them saying, where's my fresh fruit? And in the middle of summer, we're going to yell at the sky going, where's my snow when it's 90 degrees? We're always going to be frustrated because we don't understand the times and the seasons that we are in. So let's look at these mirrorisms, all right? Uh, Chapter 3, verse 2 says, a time to be born and a time to die. That is birth and death. This is where it begins and where it ends. Well, you come in crying, wearing a diaper. If you live long enough, you go out the exact same way. God knows the times. This is birth and death, the whole human existence. Philip Reichen calls this the two appointments that everyone must keep. Then he says, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. Uh, this is, goes again with born and die. It's, it's planting and then harvesting. It's comprehensive of all of that. It means in our lives, there's going to be a time to start a job or a ministry endeavor or a volunteer position. There's the whole time that it goes on, and then there's a time that it ends. But people hate change. We don't like things to change, and that life changes. And if we don't understand there are times and seasons that God has placed us in, we're going to get frustrated. Like at Element, when we first started, people had to bring their own lawn chairs if you wanted a seat to sit in. We one time decided, hey, we need to grow up. It's a new season. Put on our big boy pants and buy chairs. We bought them used. But anyway, we, we, we bought chairs. Chapter 3, verse 3, a time to kill and a time to heal. Now, this one sounds negative, but killing just doesn't refer to death. It can refer to sickness. And healing is obviously you're getting better. And so what it really says is there are times in your life where you are going to be healthy. Enjoy that. Because there will be times in your life and seasons where you're injured. Like this used to happen to me whenever I went snowboarding. Now it happens when I look left or get out of bed too fast because that's what life happens. In both seasons, is it possible to worship God? And the answer is that is yes it is all of the circumstances in life are meant to push us towards who he is and if you are a person who only thinks god in your life when you're healthy or things are going well you will never continue in relationship with him and things are bad if you're someone that only relates to god through victimhood and tragedies you will never learn how to rejoice and celebrate with him but again this also does say kill kill and heal so there are sometimes certain things may be necessary but it's always balanced with healing it's both and god himself says deuteronomy 32 39 see now that i even i am he and there is no god beside me i kill and i make alive i wound and i heal and there is none that can deliver out of my hand now at the very last of the miriams he'll say a time for war and a time for peace sometimes when the downtrodden are being wiped out through systemic slaughter we must help but there's also a time for the healing of a nation's soul. He says a time to break down and a time to build up. Tearing down and building up also deals with killing and healing. But Solomon is also a builder, a dreamer, an architect. And what he's saying is sometimes certain things need to be torn down. This can be something as simple as a car when it's really old and all it does is blow smoke out the back. It's like, what do I do with that? And get rid of it. Get a car that doesn't do that. Unless it's a classic, then fix it and and drive it around. Or it could be a rotten house, but it could be institutions and structures that no longer help but hurt. Sometimes there's laws on the books that actually need to go away. I was looking through some laws that are still in California's books this week. I'm going to read you a couple, okay? It's illegal for persons to hunt game from a moving vehicle unless the game they are hunting is a whale. That's a law, okay? It is illegal for a woman to drive a vehicle in a housecoat in California on the book still. What? Yeah. How about this one? Vehicles cannot surpass 60 miles per hour speed if there is no driver. What are you going to do with that, right? Uh, in Monte, California, apparently it is illegal for you to own a pinball machine. Yeah. 
Uh, how about this one? It's illegal for animals to mate within 1,500 feet of a school, saloon, or place of worship. How are you going to stop it? Hey, birds, knock it off, right? It's like birds and bees. It's, it's what they do. Here's a good one. In Blythe, California, it is illegal to wear cowboy boots unless you own two or more cows. <laughs> Sold, right? I'll vote for that right there. There, there are times and sometimes things need to just go away. Uh, there will be jobs and ministries. They may have a good run. And sometimes they'll be over and you tear down and restart. It's the way life goes. It's why we looked at Element last year moving into this facility as a time of rebuilding who we were. Chapter 3, verse 4, a time to weep and a time to laugh. This is a line that covers all of human emotions. Some people in Christianity out there say you always have to be happy, like you're on great medication and you're Tony the Tiger and everything's great. But there are sometimes in your life where you have sadness and pain and there is injustice and evil and suffering. Think of this in terms of the gospel. When Jesus comes, he sheds tears over typically our sin. It's one of the reasons he dies on the cross for us. Mourning many times becomes a part of life. Uh, when I was writing this message last year, my wife's family was trying to figure out what to do with my wife's mother. She's in a place where you know, she couldn't survive on her own. And do they bring someone into the house to watch her there? Do they, they put her in a place so someone can watch her and take care of her? And so there's all these questions. And for the last year and a half, we've kind of been dealing with this. Uh, my, my wife right now, she's healthy. But, but what if something happened to my wife? What, I, I think I would weep. But I think in the end, I'd hopefully come to a place of joy knowing the time that we spent together loving each other. I think all these ideas of times and seasons and learning and growing through happiness and pain and all this makes it like a a tree that bears this beautiful fruit that we can share with one another in community because we walk through these things together. Uh, It says a time to mourn and a time to dance. That's related to repenting and worshiping. Mourning is related to repentance because we understand many times that we have wronged God. We have hurt one another. We've said things we shouldn't have said, done things we shouldn't have done. We have we've scarred people. We should have remorse for that. But then we also understand the grace and the goodness of who our God is. And how he steps into our lives and calls us back into his embrace and into his family. That God offers love and forgiveness as we move forward. And as bad as our sin is, God is still better and more good than all of our sin. And he brings us back in and he lifts us up to his forgiveness. And that is dancing. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 5, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. Uh, Every commentator has like a different idea of what this means. Many kind of settle in this place where they think it's about throwing stones. Like at this time, not a lot of people had weapons of war in their homes. So it was this idea that if you had to fight your neighbor, you typically did it with rocks. <laughs> I meant to have a dirt clod fight as a kid, right? Dirt, no rocks, just dirt. And no, you got, it's all rocks. So you time to, you'd stack your rocks, sometimes you throw them. Uh, some Jewish commentators believe this also refers to sexual intercourse because of the next line, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. And they say this is during the time of menstruation when you refrain. And no one wants to talk about periods in churches, so we're just going to move on. Uh, A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing can also be welcoming friends and parting ways because in the course of life, there are friendships you make and sometimes people move away and go somewhere else. Element is full of military families and this happens a lot. We we know this thing of embracing and refraining as people move away. Chapter 3, verse 6, a time to seek and a time to lose. The NIV says a time to search and a time to give up. Uh, Either works in that mirrorism. Uh, Maybe you're someone who is always looking for a deal on something. I remember my wife and I bought our first house. I was always looking for a deal, a better house, and finally I was like, just buy a house! And I'm like, 
okay, honey, and we bought a house, okay? We just, sometimes you got to do it. In our culture, we almost think it's a never a good idea to give up searching or losing, but sometimes it is. If you're in an argument when you're married, sometimes it's better just to let it go, just let it go, and be okay with losing for the sake of peace. A time to keep and a time to cast away. I always find this one funny because I once heard someone liken it to shopping, that some people are keepers, like, Usually in a marriage, you, you have two different, like one person wants to keep everything. That's a nice way of saying hoarder. Uh, and the other side, you have somebody who just wants to throw everything away. That is a nice way of saying no sentimentality whatsoever. Okay, So you, you, you have both these sides. And some keepers, they want a big old car because they want to go shopping and find every deal. I didn't need it, but it was on sale, so I bought it. And I got a big enough car, so I stuck it in there. You know, I am a throwawayer. My wife is a keeper. Uh, and that's more, more ways than one, right? She's a keeper. <laughs> you guys are slow. Um, but, but uh, you know, she, she likes to keep, and I, and I like to throw things away. I, I, I'll, I'll give you a just thing from, from, a, from a throwaway point of view. Here you go. If you have something in your house that you have not used for a year, put it in a box. Don't throw it away. Okay, so oh, take a deep breath. Just put it in the garage. Just put it in the garage. And if you don't use it for another year, then throw it away or sell it at a garage sale. And don't go look and be like, oh, I haven't seen this for two years and put it back in the house. You haven't used it. Throw it away. Okay. I mean, sometimes people have these questionable things. Like, my wife's never said this to me, but sometimes I have heard women say, do these pants make my butt look big? And you say, no, your butt makes your butt look big. You know, that's, that's what you say. No. But if you have something questionable you don't like, get rid of it. You don't have to keep it forever. It's okay. There is a time to keep and a time to cast away. Thus says Solomon. <laughs> Chapter 3, verse 7. It's a time to take it to the dump. Chapter 3, verse 7. A time to tear and a time to sow. This refers to the grieving process. Okay? There, there are times when you, when you grieve. In, in the scriptures, when there is much sorrow, people would tear their clothes. But there is also time then to sow, to mend, to put things back together. Sorrow is good, but so is getting out of the sorrow on the backside. Sometimes you've got to go through that. Uh, Psalm 23, verse 4. David says, I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, but I will fear no evil because you are with me. And remember, God walks with us through all of it. So it's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. And this is also very true. Sometimes we say things we wish we could reel back in. Like even from up here sometimes you hear things I say. I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. We as people need to watch our words. But many times people go one of two ways. Either they always speak or they never speak. And we need to be somewhere in the middle of this to understand the right time and the right season and the right place to speak and not to speak. Sometimes we need to let somebody make their own choices and make bad decisions. And sometimes we need to speak up and say, hey, you're going the wrong way. How can I help you? That needs to stop. What can we do? We need to find the right time and the season to speak and the right times and seasons to stay silent. It's very practical. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 8, a time to love and a time to hate. Now, Christians have a hard time with this. Is it okay to hate? Yes, it actually is. You must. If you love God, then you must hate sin. Like Proverbs chapter 6 has seven things the Lord hates. There is a time for love and a time for hate. If you love somebody who is addicted to something, you hate that thing they're addicted to. Why? Because you love them so much. When you love somebody, you will hate the things that are destroying them. That's very important to understand. Uh, Time for war and a time for peace. This is interesting because of our world. And then we can argue, you know, what wars America has has had and if some of them were okay and what ones weren't and that kind of stuff. But sometimes there's always a place and a time for war. I have very conservative friends. I have very liberal friends. And they both would actually agree that it was right to stop someone like Hitler. 
Okay, so there is a time and a place for that. And it's actually a war that led to a place where we get to cry, no war today. But above all, you must understand the scriptures, we are ultimately called to be peacemakers. That's what Jesus calls us into. So these are the mirrorisms, right? Sometimes they're hard. I oversimplified every single one of them. I'm sorry, but I didn't want to spend 16 weeks taking you through that. Then we in Ecclesiastes for a year and a half or something. But we've got to realize all these also reflect God himself. A lot of people refer to what Philip Ryken calls a one-dimensional deity. That we, a lot of people see God as being God gives life, but he would never take life. That God's all peace and no war. But we have to understand that God is complete in his character. He's not half a being. And so when it says a time to hate and a time to love and a time for war and time for peace, this is all of who God is. We must understand that God loves us so passionately that he has this wrath that burns against sin because sin wants to destroy us. And so God's anger and hatred burns against that which destroys his people. And even in the ideas of salvation, what we have to understand is that in salvation, we are saved from God's wrath against sin. That's what salvation is. In Romans 5, 9, and 10, it says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. God saves us from himself and his wrath against sin that is destroying the world that he created. He loves us so much that he did something about it to rescue and save us. It is okay to say, I love the sinner and hate the sin. It is okay to hate the thing that is destroying someone that you love. There's a time for war and a time for peace. God has gone to war for his people to save us from our enemies of sin and death. So we get peace. And too many people have this unbalanced view of God. You need to see all of it to truly appreciate who he truly is. And when Jesus comes, he knows the right time and activity for everything under the sun. He knows when to gather his sheep like his disciples together, and then he knows when to scatter them like in the book of Acts when they huddle up and don't want to go out into the rest of the world like he said to, so he scatters them himself. Jesus knows when to speak. He knows when to keep silent like he preaches and teaches the three and a half years of his ministry, but at his trial, when we all think is the most important time for him to speak, Jesus stays silent. Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This goes all the way to when Jesus dies for us. God knows there's a time for Jesus to be born and a time to die. Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. No one could kill Jesus before his appointed time. Even those who hated him, even though they tried. John seven thirty says, not before his time. But when the hour does come, Jesus goes willingly to the cross. Romans 5, 6. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus then rises from the grave because there's a time to tear and a time to sow. The the curtain is torn in this temple that represents that we get to go into the most holy place where God is and have relationship with him again and a time to sow in men because by his life we have new life again. Jesus knows the right time for everything under the sun and he dies to bring peace between us and God and ultimately us and one another which means we now also get to be peacemakers. True and real and lasting peace we get to talk about. And if there's one thing I think I'd leave you with today, it's this, that we should love Jesus first, obviously, in all things, but make good use of the time that he has placed in our hands. I think time is a commodity and God gives it to us and it's very precious. Now, Stephen Olford calls it a fragment of eternity given by God to man as a solemn stewardship. 
I think the best use of our time is obviously trusting Jesus first, but living out that life that God has given to us in ways that reference who he is and remind us of who he is, that we understand the goodness and the beauty and the grace of the gospel that we are in times and seasons of our lives. We go through all these things, and every single one of them are meant to draw us closer to who he is, to pull us back into relationship with him, to help us to love him and see how he does stand above time, and he can make all things work out to his ultimate good because he is good. It's the gospel, is the good news that no matter what time and season you find yourself in right now, that God has stepped into this place to rescue you, to bring you back into relationship with him, to show you that your life and the things you've gone through can actually have meaning. It doesn't have to be meaningless. If you stop looking at your life just under the sun and look at it into who he calls you to be, you can understand that everything that we have ever been through or gone through finds its fulfillment in who he is. It's one of the reasons we talk about communion every single week. It is a reminder of God's goodness and grace that Jesus came at the right time and the right place to die for his people, to bring us back into relationship with God again. That's why you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us and you dip it in the wine of the grape juice and it reminds us of blood that was shed for you and me because at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. That's us if you don't know because <laughs> we are pretty bad sometimes and he brings us back into relationship again this is what he does at the right time because god knows the right time for everything even our time under the sun now the band's going to come up and as they do i'm going to invite you if you need prayer it's gonna be deacons and elders in the back and if you're in a place today where you are in some season in your life and you feel like it is overwhelming and you never know when this season is going to end, but you just want it to end. And you like someone to pray with you about that. They love to pray with you about that. I mean, if you're going through something that's, that's even joyous and you want to tell somebody about it and, and talk about that, they, they love to talk and pray with you about that. It's understanding where we are and what God has done and what God continues to do that, that we as a people are meant to be those who understand God's sovereignty is a good thing. That if God wasn't sovereign, we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves. It's that God comes and can make sense of everything that we have been through or everything that we go through. Because God is gracious and God is good. Uh, there's offering boxes next to every door. We give because God gave so much to us, giving us part of our worship. We don't pass the plate. It's always a response to what he's done. Uh, there's food outside. Uh, outside. Uh, it's not raining this week, so that's amazing. First time in four weeks. <laughs> Grab something to eat. Maybe take some sermon notes. And this week, meet with some people and talk through some of that stuff. Talk about the times and the seasons of your life. When's a time of joy or time of sadness? Uh, what, what is the season you're in right now? Or have you ever been in a season where you thought you'd never see that other side of it, but you finally did? And why do some seasons last so long and others are so short and it's what seasons do you grow knowing God the most in and all these questions about times and seasons are all meant to help us reflect back upon who God is and draw us closer into his grace and his goodness so that we would see his sovereignty in all things we understand that is a very very good thing that no matter what we have been through no matter what happens God can still hold everything in his hands and he will bring all things together because he is good Guys, our, our God is great. And whatever the mirrorism your life finds itself in right now, I think all these things that we go through can draw us back to a place where we worship God more fervently and more truly because he has first loved us. And so we, in turn, love him back. Let's be a people who take the time that God has placed into our hands even now and live it out in ways that bring him glory and brings joy to those around us because we have had such great grace bestowed upon us. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would remind us daily 
of your sovereignty in all things and that we can trust you. And Father, whatever time or season that we all find ourselves in in this room, that you would use those things to draw us back to you, to understand the, the hope that you provide, to understand the grace that has been given and also continues to be given to us. That we would find great hope in your overseeing of all that we are. Father, this morning, as we begin to think about you know, life and times and seasons, I ask that you would reflect our minds back always to your goodness and what you have done to brought us to the place where we even are today. And maybe some of those things haven't been so joyous or great, but yet you brought us to this place on this day to hear the things that we have heard, to understand your hope and your grace Move our hearts to understand rhythms and times and seasons that we would beat in time with who you are. That you draw us daily closer to you. And that all that we would do would be to glorify you, first and foremost, above all things. And we ask that in your son's good name. Amen.